0: Thank you. May our boast always be in Jesus Christ and in his death and in his resurrection. I want to talk to you this morning about for how everything, yep, everything, for everything there is a season. And to get at, to get at the text that we're going to look at this morning, let me make just a few opening comments here. I'm sure that for, for some of you, the announcement that you heard earlier in the service from Bill left you feeling maybe hopeless or disappointed or or confused its content may have been uh, unexpected but maybe for some of you it's kind of like you know okay I hear that but you know I've I've got other, other fish that I need to fry right now I mean we all have lives that are so filled with stuff that is just at times just chaotic and random I mean one day you can be cruising down going you know 55 miles an hour and the next day you can be in a pothole stuck broken down Life is like that, that little nursery rhyme, you know. There, once, uh, there was a little girl who had a little curl right in the middle of her forehead. And when she was good, she was very, very good. But when she was bad, she was horrid, all right? You know, you, could just, you can lurch from very, very good to horrid or from horrid to very, very good last week it was Wednesday it was, it, was a, it was a hard day for me intense long day I was driving home doing my best to say okay I, I got to kind of transition here I just wasn't transitioning but pulled in the driveway got out of the car went into the house and Karen said hey we have ravioli for dinner tonight you know from horrid to really really good <laughs> doesn't make much to make me happy you know <laughs> But then but there was Christmas morning. So my family was together. My younger son and his family from the D.C. area. There were three grandkids. We'd uh, uh, gotten up and had breakfast. It was around 10, 10, 15. We began to open presents. I was holding my six-month-old grandson in my arms. And, you know, very, very good. And then the phone rang. And I saw who was calling, a friend named Mike. I said, well, why is Mike calling me? And Mike was calling me to tell me that a real good friend of mine, a close friend, had died unexpectedly of a heart attack prematurely. Very, very good to (laughs) horrid. Life and time, they have so many changes and transitions and... Unexpected twists and turns and ups and downs. We need a rock. We need God's truth. God's truth gives us stability. It helps right the ship. It helps to renew hope and confidence in God in the midst of all the randomness of life. So that's why I'm so eager that we take a look at one of the best known passages in the Bible this morning. It's from the book of Ecclesiastes. So why don't you take a Bible? Why don't you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter three? If you're using the church Bible, that's going to be on page <laughs> excuse me, page five hundred and fifty four. Uh, in some cultures, this text, Ecclesiastes chapter three, is the most famous passage in the Bible. Those of you who are baby boomers, kind of my generation, you know, uh, you will recall the famous song from the 60s by the birds, originally written uh, a a decade before, a song called Turn, 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 based on this text. Uh, Regardless of the culture or the generation, What we're going to read today, verses 1 through 8, is the most famous poem in the Bible. Because it is a poem. I mean, you look at it there. There it is, 3, 1 through 8, and it's a poem. It's laid out for you there in poetic form. Now, I'm going to actually read verses 1 through 15. And here's why. Back when I was in 8th grade, in English class, had my... First real encounter, as, as an American now, those of you from different cultures can kind of transpose, oh, transpose this over to your culture. But for me, first real encounter with the heavy reading of Shakespeare. Brilliant writer, but he wrote in older English. And so, as is generally the case, the, the particular book that we were, uh, of Shakespeare's play that we are reading, I think it was Twelfth Night, but I'm not sure. You know, you had the book there, and up on the uh, most of the page, you had the, the text of the play in poetic form in this case. And down at the bottom of the page, you had footnotes, explanations of words and phrases in the text, uh, definitions of words that no longer mean today what they meant back when Shakespeare uh, wrote them. Uh, discussion of stage directions or what's going on, the kind of stuff that helped you make sense of what was going up on the top of the page in the actual play. Well, it's the same thing here. We have a poem, verses 1 through 8, and then the writer has given us his footnotes, so to speak, his explanations of the stuff that he's talking about, verses 9, Especially verses 9 through 13, but also including a little bit in verses 14 through 15. So I'm going to read to you Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 15. Here's the text. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones. A time to gather stones together. A time to embrace. A time to refrain from embracing a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he, man, cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, and also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is, already has been. That which is to be, already has been. God seeks what has been driven away. This is God's word. Father, take this text and speak it, speak it down into our lives with all the stuff there, Speak it. We prayed earlier when we sang, "Speak, O Lord, and we're praying it now. Speak, O Lord, Through this text, we pray in Jesus' great name. Amen. For everything, there is a season that's the opening line to the poem, and it launches you into this exquisitely designed poem a poem that has the simplest of structures you have verse 1 the statement of the theme of the poem what the poems about told you right there and then verses 2 through 8 you've got the development of that statement so the statement for everything 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 for everything there is a season that word is the in 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 Old Testament is the lesser, more uncommon word for time and seasons. And it has a sense of a season. It's translated here. It has a sense of a, of a period of time that begins and then comes to an end. It has a, the sense of a, a designated moment. I like the translation, appointed time. For everything there is an appointed time. And then the the statement carries on uh, to repeat that in a different way. And a time, this time a a different word, the more general word, the more common word for time. But in light of the the resonance with what's happened before in the statement, it kind of has that kind of charge to it. A, A special time for every matter, every thing, every activity, every purpose, every desire every plan, every purpose, every event, every change, every transition, a time for every matter under heaven, here where we live. That's the statement of the theme. And then you have verses 2 through 8, count them, 14 pairs of contrasts to drive that point home to bring it down into life. And each of the pairs consists of opposites. Look at it. Two, born, die. Plant, pluck up. Kill, heal. Break down, build up. Weep, laugh, mourn, dance. On it goes down through all 14 pairs of opposites. These pairs of opposites are what they call a merism. Here, here it is, a merism. A merism is a pair of opposites, often used in poetry, but but commonly used in everyday speech as well. A pair of opposites that is intended to cover everything, including all the in-betweens. So, for instance, let, let's go back to my, my house again. Um, let's just say that I've lost my keys, which is a fairly regular event in our home and I'm looking for my keys and finally I go to Karen and I say honey I've searched high and low for my keys now Karen's not going to sit there and say okay you've searched high so you looked at the ceiling you searched low so you looked at the floor did you check the in between the counter the kitchen table she's not going to say that because she knows what I'm saying I have searched exhaustively everywhere for my keys and I haven't found them and then typically she'll say, well, did you check over here? Because they're right here, Matt. <laughs> it's a marism high and low. It covers everything in between. So when he says, for instance, a time to be born, a time to die. Human life. All the stuff in between the ends. Birth and death and everything in between. So that would include just everything. A time to eat hoagies, a time to sell a car, a time to to go on a date, a time to shovel snow, a time to plant flowers, death, life, everything in between. Or down at the end, a time for war and a time for peace. The merisms contain everything in between having to do with what I'll call national or political stuff, in life. Like, for instance, a federal holiday weekend. Now, you've got 14 of these merisms, these pairs of opposites. 14. That's twice seven. Two times seven. Which, in the Old Testament Hebrew way of thinking, is kind of like this is this is this is everything. This is complete. This is exhaustive. This is—you might even say—this is a merism of merisms that th- th- this poem, you know, all of life in all its details, in all these contrasting prepares everything. Everything has a time and a season. Everything. The course of an individual's life, 2A, a a time to be born, a time to die. Agriculture, planting and plucking up, harvesting. Emotions, verse 4, a time to weep, a time to laugh. All the stuff in between. Relationships, verse 5, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones. That's the most curious statement. It's possible that that is an Old Testament euphemism for sexual intimacy. That's not definite. It might also be simply a statement of true to that area of the world. That sometimes with a field you've got to gather the stones up to make way to plant it. And sometimes when the field has been so used it's time to just to scatter the stones. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. if you, It's not going to be planted anymore. Throw the stones there. All of life to everything, there's a the season. That's the main point of the poem. Now let me take it. you sound like you've kind of gotten familiar with the poem. Let me take the poem and let me connect it to the explanatory notes, so to speak, the cliff notes down in verses nine to 15, OK, especially nine through 13 all right i 'm going to do that i 'm going to make those connections i 'm going to use three adjectives to go deeper with this and to connect the poem with those fa- verses that follow. First adjective is the word haphazard. Life is experienced by us as haphazard. I mean there may be a season to everything, but it sure doesn 't feel that way that's not how life comes to us and that's not how the and, and that's not how the poem presents like take a look at the poem notice that in some cases the good thing the pleasant comes first and the unpleasant the bad thing comes second so for instance we've got verse 2 a time to be born there's there's a good thing and then a time to die there's there's the unpleasant the bad But then verse 3, he flips it around. A time to kill, there's the unpleasant, the bad. And then a time to heal, there's the good. It's it's shifting all around. There's no rhyme or reason to whether the pleasant is going to come first and the unpleasant second or swapped around. Unpleasant first, pleasant second. There's just no order to it. That's how life comes. That's how it plays out. Further... As the, the poem unfolds, there's no overall flow or sequence to the list of opposites. I mean, we might expect, given the line, a time to be born and a time to die, oh, this, this, this is, this is going to follow all the stages of life. There's going to be a nice, clear sequence to things. But it doesn't happen. The list just bounces all around, especially in the second half. Life and death sit alongside agriculture, planting and harvesting. Uh, Relational intimacy, verse 5, sits along, verse 6, losing your keys. Uh, Verse uh, uh, 7, needlework sits alongside communication it's just no obvious sequence and that's because that's how life comes to us haphazard chaotic random that's the point of verse 9 what gain has the worker from his from his toil this is not kind of a throwaway line what what, what he's saying here is that because life is so haphazard and chaotic and filled with opposites you as as the worker as, as, as the active human being you can work and work and get everything in order and then in a moment everything can just be undone I mean who knows what a day can bring I read this this last week about this guy, 17th century guy, a French guy with a very French name. Here's his French name, Henri de la Tour d'Auvergne. We're just going to call him Henry, okay? Wealthy, powerful, illustrious, famous, a decorated general with an illustrious career. He died on a battlefield in Germany, got wounded and died. And upon being wounded and, you know, lying there dying, he said, I wasn't planning on dying today. (laughs) I was like, oh, really? (laughs) You know, like, life's random. I don't think any of us wakes up in the morning planning to do something like that. But that's the way life comes. I mean, for so many people, for so many people, this this chaos of life is so difficult. Some of you may know the author Ellen Hopkins. She's best known for books that she's written for youth and young adults. Here's Ellen Hopkins' most famous quotation, and it captures... The spirit of our times. Maybe life is random. No fate, no God, just time. Now, in light of Ecclesiastes and the experience of life, I, I agree with the first statement in the sense that life can feel random. But, The second one, no fate. Well, that's a discussion of what you mean by fate. But certainly the third and the fourth, I disagree with. Simply because life is experienced as random does not mean that there's no God. And it's all just time. That's the second adjective. That's the second point I want to make. That's what this, this, this poem is getting at. But the, the second adjective here is the adjective designed. Life feels haphazard, but it's designed. God has a plan in all the details of our lives. We're told up at the top that everything has its season. It's a point of time scheduled moment and even though there's chaos within the poem in terms of the opposites there is a structure here a very clear structure so that the the poet in terms of how he's written the poem is simultaneously saying there's randomness it can feel that way but there is a design a beautiful exquisite poetic design in the case of the poem there is a design to life if you look down at the explanatory notes verses eight and following we get even more on this. Look at verse 10. He says, I've seen the busyness, the activities, the stuff that we do, all our different involvements and relationships. I've seen all this. I've seen the business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. And notice he's saying that all the stuff in your life and my life is stuff that God has given He's connecting it all to God, as random as it may seem. Then he says in verse 11, he says, he, God, has made everything beautiful or appropriate in its time. Maybe the thing itself isn't beautiful or appropriate. I mean, it may feel evil. It may be evil. But in terms of everything else, the bigger picture, there's a design to it. And he goes on to say, that that in verse 11 that that god has a a, a a beautiful plan but he's put eternity in our hearts yet so that he cannot find out what god has done from the beginning to the end we'll come back to those me, uh, uh, middle statements but that Closing line, what God has done from the beginning to the end. In other words, God has been at work at the start and down at the end and every point in between. Another another mirrorism. God is at work. As a designer, in all the contrasts of life, he's in control. I like what in terms of the New Testament I like what an ancient catechism that's so relevant today says in answer to the question about our lives and the chaos and God's providence in them here's, here's the answer Heidelberg Catechism the answer to the question number 27 all things come not by chance but by God's fatherly hand to everything There is a season. And so it's worth asking. It's worth, let me put it this way, it's worth rewriting this poem in light of your life right now. I mean, how would you write this poem today? What would be the the contrasts, the pairs of contrasts that you've been experiencing in your life? To everything, to to these things, there is a season. To these things, there is a plan. In these things, over these things, God is in control. So, for instance, to these things, there is a season. A time to, to slog it up and commute to New York. Twice a day. Five days a week a time to commute and a time to relax. To these things there's a season. To these things there's a season, a a time to pay bills, to watch the the balance go down. And a time to deposit a check to watch the balance go up. To these things there is a season connecting with you who are parents of infants uh, to, to a time to get some sleep and a time to wake up yet again and feed that wailing baby to these things there is a time and a season a time to go to a funeral a time to go to a wedding to these things there is a season a time to enjoy health, a time to undergo chemotherapy. To these things, there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. For us as a church, I think of Laura Holt's announcement last week. She's our missions director. And she she announced last week that later this spring... She's going to be uh, moving over to Europe to work with a mission there, Operation World. And that's just great news for the global church. But there's a real loss here. Her last day here is January 31st. To these things, there is a season, a time to enjoy staff stability, a time to enjoy Laura in our midst, and a time to release staff to God's calling. I think of Bill's announcement today. To these things, there is a season. A time to expect the name of a candidate. A time to recommit to prayer and waiting. To these things, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And so it goes. I have one more adjective. And this last adjective... Is so typical of Ecclesiastes because as we'll see uh, next week, I'll I'll do more next week with kind of the overall feel of Ecclesiastes and what the author is doing in the book. Um, But Ecclesiastes is a down-to-earth book. It takes our faith and locks it down into the the realities, the hard realities of life so, so that our faith doesn't get too dreamy. Too, too overblown, too triumphalist. So the third adjective, again clear in this poem and in the footnotes, is unknowable. Even though God has a design, there's no way for us to know what that design is. Look at verse eleven. God has made everything beautiful in its time we talked about that He's also put eternity into man's heart into human's heart In other words he's placed in us human beings a longing for eternity a, 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 an aspiration for eternity a, a desire to see things in light of eternity to make sense of this short life in light of eternity. He's put that within us. It's part of being human. But, the verse goes on, yet, he's put eternity in man's hearts, yet so that he, man, human beings, we cannot find out, we can't figure out what God has been doing from the beginning the end. I mean God has a plan for everything but we can't figure it out I mean this is the the frustration of the believer. You follow Christ you serve him faithfully and it's easy to start to think well God I, I think you owe me something here at least an understanding of what you're doing I I don't get it. It's easy to start to think that way. Ecclesiastes is reminding us. No, you may not know in this life. This is the frustration of the believer, but it's also the joy and the confidence of the believer because here comes the critical point. We trust God. We trust Christ for who he is and not for the details of his plan. And we trust God with confidence, knowing his character, knowing his his purpose eternally in Christ, knowing the the plan that he's unfolded and will yet uh, unfold in Christ the plan of Christ's death and Christ's resurrection for our sins and our rescue and the eventual, eventual transformation of this world. So we trust God as God and not because of any details of the plan he has for us. I mean, my ears ring with Romans 8, which I preached last month. Romans eight, thirty one and thirty two. If God is for us, who in all the randomness of life, if God is for us, then who or what can be against us? He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also not how will he not also with Christ graciously give to us everything we need? To handle all the haphazard, unknowable, but designed things in our lives. Let me close with these two practical thoughts. First, the normal Christian life, the normal church life together, will involve twists and turns, seeming randomness, and maybe some abrupt changes. It will entail exciting moments and despairing moments. It will involve things that make sense and things that make no sense. It will involve wonderfully answered prayers, and frustratingly unanswered prayers. And sometimes this is good, these, these changes and shifts, as when you go, for instance, from weeping to laughing, verse 4, or from mourning to dancing, verse 4, or from warring to making peace, verse 8. And other times it's unpleasant. And it's difficult. And it might even be wrong. As, for instance, going from, from loving to hating, verse 8, or from seeking to losing, verse 6. Beware of despairing faith. Beware of triumphalist faith. Trust God. Second practical thought. God does have a plan. Everything matters because everything has an appointed time and a season. And so we can trust him. Or as the footnote says, so to speak, ten in verse 14, we can fear him. That word fear is the great Old Testament word for a a reverential trust in God. A humble God-awareness of of the magnitude of God and the tininess of the human being. It's the word for obedient trust that comes out of that. And Sometimes we just have to say to ourselves, "I, I can't figure this one out. But what I can do, by the grace of God, is to trust God and to trust Jesus Christ. To everything, there's a season. Let's pray. There are people here this morning, Father, who are in the midst of a time to laugh, and a time to dance, time of healing there are others here this morning Father who are in the midst of a time to weep a time to mourn a time to die I pray your grace upon each I pray your Holy Spirit would bring to each one the hope and the confidence that are found in Jesus Christ. And it's hidden in his name that I pray. Amen.